This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Turn it baby. Yes, sir. Bears fans, this is Take the North with your hosts, David Hall. The hits principle is corny, old-fashioned, and all that. But you know what? These guys are buying in. And Dan Weeder. I get criticized all the time for being negative in my coverage of the Chicago Bears. And I tell people, again, it's my 10th season. I have covered one winning season and zero playoff victories. We're going to take the North and never give it back. Welcome to the Take the North podcast right here on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm David Haw, along with Dan Reeder from the Chicago Tribune. Adam Stadzinski is our producer coming to you after the Bears 27 to 10 loss at Lambeau Field Sunday night. Now we know, at least we know, the Bears will not finish Matt Eberflus's first season unbeaten. <laughs> they go up to Green Bay, Dan, and it was a very familiar outcome. The process a little different. Big picture-wise, though, how big of a step back, if this was one indeed for the Bears, was it? Yeah, I don't know if I would qualify it as a step back as much as a sort of rude awakening to the rest of us to remind us of everything that we thought we knew about this team when training camp began. I think we sort of were the beneficiaries of an August that ran pretty smoothly on the field, right? The Bears won three preseason games. They went in their season opener and upset the 49ers. And it was all sort of a delay of the inevitable wake-up call that was eventually coming. And it came Sunday night with the reminder that this roster just isn't talented enough. It's not deep enough. They have too thin a margin of victory to win high-level games without playing a near-perfect game. And the Bears played far from perfect on Sunday night and were exposed as what we knew they were, a a a bottom-tier team trying to work their way up the ladder take the north you can find us on twitter at take the north pod you can email us as well uh, take the north pod at gmail.com and you can let us know what you think we're going to be here on tuesday mornings and friday mornings and for home games we're going to be here immediately after the texans come to town on sunday we'll be ready to react to that one okay so my biggest takeaway there are a lot of them we'll get through but i just want to start with the obvious dan Watching that game, the biggest reaction I had was watching the Bears with a chance to cut it to a one-score lead, eight minutes to go in the game, on the inch line, inches to go, fourth at inches. They come out in a shotgun, and I was triggered. I had bad flashbacks (laughs) to the previous regime, and they didn't convert, even though I understand the explanation. You wanted to outnumber guys in the box, and metrics can show you this, and metrics can show you that. But I think that it was inconsistent, and that's what bothered me, Dan. If you're going to come out and be the football regime that that kind of masters common sense and, and simple, forceful, and strong, there was nothing simple, forceful, or strong. I felt like Luke Getze specifically outsmarted himself. The Bears did not score, and it ended up 27-10. The previous regime may have called a tight end sweep there, right? And then we, would, <laughs> we would have been banging our head against the wall for three or four days yelling at that. So maybe there is some improvement with them calling a QB power run with the guy who obviously has the strength and the athleticism to get them a couple inches. I would have preferred maybe an under center sneak, given how close they were to the goal line. I mean, we're talking about maybe six inches from where that previous play stopped, where they had that ball on fourth and goal there and and you give it there or give it to David Montgomery, who we will talk about a lot during this show 
averaged 8.1 yards per carry and ran angry the entire night and ran with passion and purpose. And that's sort of, for me, more a feel thing within a game. When you have an eye test that tells you this guy has been the best player on the field for our football team tonight, reward him down there. He's not going to let you down. He's going to do everything he can the way he did most of the night in turning nothing into something and, and, and making sure he gets across those six inches. So I would have preferred feeding the hot hand there in Montgomery. I don't have a major issue with the, the play they called. You also just have to block it up better. And I asked Matt Eberflus on Monday afternoon uh, in his review, what did he see? You know, what, what, what could have been executed better as long as you're confident with that play call? How do you execute it better to make sure it scores? He said it's just a matter of getting that push up front that they didn't get. Not enough pad level, not enough push up front. And, and ultimately, it becomes one of these highlight moments or low light moments, really, in a loss that, that reminds everyone where the Bears are in this rivalry. And I think there are a lot of people out there screaming at us right now saying, okay, don't you know it was in? It was in. The review showed it was in. Okay, it's almost beside the point for me. I, I just don't think that that was the formation that that screams progress, and it just was more complicated than necessary. If you also you, have a fullback, right? You brought in you a, fullback. a fullback. Yeah, thank to, you. So go ahead and and clear the way for for a half yard when you need a half yard, right? See, Luke Getzey was hired to run the I formation, so that is the one thing they could have come out of with David Montgomery, and it just made it more complicated than it was necessary. I declared the end of the honeymoon for Luke Getzey. <laughs> that doesn't mean he can't have a happy marriage football-wise in Chicago, but I just think the honeymoon is over. He is not immune to criticism, and he certainly got his share on a Monday following a loss to the Packers, like so many other guys who have done his job and called the same kind of plays as the offensive coordinator for the Bears. I had some honeymoon jokes queued up, but I thought they would get a little too awkward too quickly. So I'm going to steer around those for this for the purposes of this. But See, sir- <laughs> you, you know, because you, you should be calling plays for the Bears. You know, just to take the gimme. Don't try to do too much. <laughs> right, because right. Be exposed. You get yourself in trouble and, and then you can't recover from it. Don't make a bad problem worse. The Bears obviously have a uh, an opportunity to bounce back and they're going to have to bounce back quickly, but they're going to have to find themselves offensively, David. And we'll talk a lot about that because I think that what we've seen through two weeks is that this is an offense that's still searching for answers on what they do best. And they probably shouldn't be searching as hard as they are at this point. Uh, And we'll have to explore that a little bit more in depth, both on this program today. And then obviously as the week goes on and we, and we continue to talk to people at Alice Hall to figure out what the next steps are in the troubleshooting process, because I don't know, I'll say this, that when, you know, you obviously it's nothing new for me to get in the car and leave Lambeau field, you know, in the wee hours of a morning and feel like, man, this is just a dispiriting, side of the rivalry to be on. Uh, but I woke up Monday morning just just thinking about how long this season will be if the Bears don't find ways to make dramatic improvements that give us those feelings of encouragement. And I don't think there were really many of those at all on Sunday night. And it, it, it was just sort of that gut punch that reminds you, man, that we've got 16 weeks to go in this year. And this, this roster is undermanned and under-talented and going to be underdogs most weeks. And this could become very long and grinding very quickly if they don't show some of those improvements. Let's get into some of that with our opening drive. Hey, everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Time for the opening, the, the opening drive. Unfortunately, I, I tend to agree with you. You do tend to, you do paint kind of a bleak picture, uh, and it doesn't have to be that bad. But I, but I do think this. I came out of Sunday night's loss to Green Bay, and they ran for 203 rushing yards a week after the 49ers gouged the Bears' defense for 176 yards on the ground. And I, and I'm not trying to be like. Uh, I, I just looked at it this way. The defensive line has replaced the offensive line 
as not only the biggest source of concern to me, maybe your weakest spot, but also one of those position groups that can limit the progress of your quarterback as much as any position group can. And you have the protection issues you worry about with your offensive line, which goes without saying. But what we saw against the Packers was what we may see too often this season. The defense can't get off the field. So the opposing team in offense is going to control the ball and control the clock. So when the Bears do get the ball, they're never going to be able to have the luxury of letting Justin Fields get into a rhythm, build the confidence, shake off whatever rust or the attention to he's very mechanical at times didn't seem real comfortable so they're not going to have the ball long enough i fear at times for him to get comfortable so i came out of the game against the packers after seeing what they did to their defensive front ran all over them with aaron jones and aj dillon thinking it's going to be a long year but mostly because the defensive line is further away from being respectable than the offensive line is. Well, some pats on the back for us for our three keys segment from late last week, previewing this game and, and basically forecasting that the Packers were going to run the ball and they were going to dare the Bears to stop the run. Even with the great, one of the greatest quarterbacks in the history of the sport, they knew they could get rolling if they established Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon early, and they did. Aaron Jones had another worldly night, I think 170 yards from scrimmage and, and two touchdowns, and obviously the Packers as a team averaged 5.3 yards per carry on the ground. That is going to kill you every week, particularly when it results in 203 rushing yards for the opponent. The defensive line is an issue, but you and I have been in agreement since really the spring that the best football player on this roster wears the the 58 jersey and is seeking a new contract, and his name is Roquan Smith, and he did not make an impact in a game that called for him to make an impact. So get your alarm bells out and say, what is wrong there, right? When is Roquan Smith going to be the superstar that he's tried to tell us that he deserves to be paid like? And so that for me is, is, is troublesome. Because if you're going to close the gap on superior teams in this league, particularly with the roster you have now, your stars need to be stars. Your standouts need to be standouts. Your go-to guys need to be go-to guys. The Bears had way too many moments last night where none of those things happened. And you see the results. They lose by 17 points in primetime on the NBC stage. I said facetiously on the radio that Roquan Smith led the Bears in catches Sunday <laughs> night because of the way that he caught A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones so often. He was going backward. That's the wrong direction. Dan, I also want to mention this while we're talking about defensive concerns, and that's a, that's a good one because it starts with Roquan based on everything he means to this team and franchise. I think, I think Kyler Gordon took a step backward, and I wonder about the lasting impact of that. Is he A, Young and, you know, inexperienced and foolish and not he won't remember what uh, he happened to him at Lambeau Field and he'll bounce back or be young and, and unproven and inexperienced. And that's going to leave a mark confidence wise. And he's going to have a difficult time recovering. He didn't tackle well. He was out of position a couple of times. He gambled and lost and he gave up inside position too easily for a guy who should know better. But he'll learn. I just wonder about the step that represented for Kyler Gordon. Well, when you put a, a, a rookie corner in the slot, right, and you dare him on the NFL level to be part of a big part of your run support, he's going to be tested, right? And there are moments where you say, boy, he's got a lot to learn about just fitting properly and, and being aggressive and being able to, to help the run defense get guys on the ground. I don't have many concerns about Kyler's confidence. I think he's very sturdy in that regard, a very self-confident kid by nature. And I think he'll bounce back really quickly from this. I also applaud Matt Eberflus for making acknowledgments well before the season started that the best path to having some of your young draft picks become future standouts and stars for you is to get them experience quickly, right, and early, and to let them take their lumps and to see how they handle them and bounce back from them. And so I think they understand that this is a necessary part of the growing process. And, and so they're willing to take those. And Matt sort of referenced it again on Monday that, that he knows this, right? Like that he understands that it's going to be ugly sometimes. It's going to hurt sometimes for these young players to be exposed the way they are. But if you've drafted the right guys and you know what they're made of mentally, it's ultimately going to be a catalyst for their long-term development. And so I think in the case of, of Kyler Gordon, this is all great experience that should help him down the road. He just got to make sure that, that one, you know, choppy week doesn't become two doesn't become three and and, and take those lessons and, and move forward as quickly as possible we've got a whole segment devoted to the quarterback guys so don't worry we will get to justin fields but a couple other points i want to get to dan before asking you about your observations of being in the locker room at lambo number one i felt like the offensive tackles had a rough night uh in game two uh, braxton jones and larry borm not quite sure how how tight of a grip they have on either starting role let's see what happens with that 
I felt like the pass rush is be, is emerging as a strength of this team just because you're seeing another guy in Travis Gibson get a couple sacks following Dominic Robinson's strong performance. And Robert Quinn certainly was active. Uh, and I, you have to get some production out of your top playmakers, your talent, if you will, the way Matt Eberflus referred to him. But Cole Komet and Darna Mooney just have to be bigger factors in a passing game that was non-existent. That looked like we were watching college football or, dare I say, high school football um, at times because of how limited and unsophisticated the Bears passing game appeared. 48 net passing yards, right, on a, on a night that was 73 degrees and, and perfect for football, right? And that's this is 2022 in the NFL. Tua Tagovailoa threw for 199 yards in the fourth quarter for the Dolphins. The Bears, <laughs> wow. I think the Bears have 155 net passing yards for for the two games that they've played, right? Like, so the, you got some catch up to play in that regard, and I think it just exposes some. I, I, maybe distrust is too strong of a word, but it's certainly not th- that far off of where their passing game is. And now I think it's it, there's a task here in trying to figure out what is it about the passing attack that they're not confident in? Is it they don't think that they can block it properly? Do they think that their young quarterback doesn't have the necessary poise to, to make plays when there are plays to be made? Do they not have enough receivers uh, and, and playmakers to, to, to get it unlocked? But these are things that, that Matt Eberflus and Luke Getze and the entire staff have to figure out quickly this week because you cannot go two consecutive weeks without uh, your starting quarterback reaching 10 completions in a game, David. It's crazy to look at these numbers. And this is coming off a, a, a Matt Nagy era where offensive frustration was the weekly norm. What were your observations? What was it like being in the locker room? How would you describe the post-game scene, whether it's from the coaching staff or how they handled it and Matt Eberflus or players who you know got their first taste of the rivalry in, in many cases. As opposed to a lot of previous visits into that visiting locker room at Lambeau Field that come later in the season where where a lot of times the the punch that the Packers land is, is the knockout blow and you go in there and you say, oh man, that dude's on the canvas and the mouthpiece is spit out and, and, and there's blood <laughs> spilling from the nose, right? This was more like a... The one that we match. <laughs> yeah, right. This was more like a between rounds, you know, you got, the, you got the bucket out, you got the water, you're spraying it and you see uh, you know, a cut above the eye and you realize that this team is going to have to steady itself and sturdy itself and figure out ways to, to get itself right mentally in order to be right physically going forward, I think that there's probably a miss perception amongst fans and hopefully not within the locker room that this team's got some gimme wins on their schedule. This team has zero gimme wins on the schedule. The Houston Texans coming to Soldier Field on Sunday is not a gimme win for this Chicago Bears football team. The faster that the Bears that coach and play for this team this year realize that, the better off they're going to be because they have to be sharp every single day, whether it's practice, whether it's meetings, whether it's film review, whether it's on game day, to compete with anyone in this league. And so I think that's the biggest thing coming out of the locker room Sunday night is hoping that they have the realization of understanding where they are and where they need to go to be the team that they want to be. My final thought before we give out game balls regards the the special teams and kicking game. I've got to think that there's somebody on that roster that is capable of distinguishing himself as a return man, as a dangerous guy to go deep, as somebody who you fear when they go back deep and not because you're afraid they're going to drop the ball or muff a punt. Where is that explosiveness? There's got to be someone on the roster. I know Bayless Jones is injured with a hammy, but come on, there's got to be somebody that's going to give you uh, a little bit of a burst because that was very disappointing. Well, you just said it, right? It's Valus Jones not playing yet for the Chicago Bears. Two weeks in, they, they used a third-round draft pick on him because they thought he could be a weapon for them offensively, and they certainly thought he could help them on special teams in the return game. And this hamstring injury that has lingered and lingered and lingered, and he gets out for a Wednesday practice as a limited participant, and then he can't go the next two days because of whatever happened in that practice. This is all concerning. And, you know, I... I, I highlighted him as, as the potential most disappointing player on this roster a couple weeks ago for, for this very reason, because we're getting to the end of September and we haven't seen him on the football field for a single play yet. Right. And he only played one of the three preseason games. And so that's where it is. That's where the pop is. It's in street clothes, right? It's in, it's in a, a sweatsuit over, uh, over on the bench right now. And uh, eventually they've got to get some, some, uh, I don't know, a heating pad, a massage gun, whatever it is to get that hamstring into shape so that Velas can, can actually play and be out on the field on game nights. All right, let's start to give out our game balls. Let's bring in Adam for that. Adam Stadzinski Studs. You can give away your first game ball and see who do you think was worthy of a game ball after a 27-10 loss where there weren't a lot of positives, but there were some. So 
I thought I thought uh, I went back and forth on this a couple times, and I, I'm gonna go with a guy that I I picked in the preseason to to have a, a to to have a comeback kind of year, and that's Eddie Jackson. I think Eddie Jackson is maybe the only guy in the defense that had a, a decent to good game. You guys you guys mentioned how bad Roquan was. It seemed like he was on skates. Eddie Jackson was I think fourth on the team in tackles. He had nine total tackles last night, and really didn't get targeted much in 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 the passing game. I thought he was. Pretty good. And if you're going to look at the defense and say, okay, who on the defense had a good game? I think Eddie Jackson did. I didn't see him as a tackle. He was in there being aggressive. You don't want your free safety to be fourth on your team in tackles. That's not a good sign. That shows how 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 far down the field the Packers running backs were getting before they were making contact with anyone on the Bears defense. But I think Eddie Jackson had a good game. And it's a little outside the box. I think that I think the best player on the field for the Bears was David Montgomery, who I'm sure will get some, a game ball from someone. And if he doesn't, then I'll come back in and give it to him because he deserves one. <laughs> you know, I want to say this about Eddie Jackson. He had an interview with Jeff Joniak. They put it on the team's website mm. and they aired it on Fox before the game. And I think all of us, and maybe Dan, I don't want to speak for you, but I think a lot of us did, didn't realize the, the personal tragedy he was dealing with the last two seasons with the loss of his friend and then the way he described it, he was open with this, the miscarriage of, of two children uh, that his wife went through and they went through as a couple. And when you start to realize how critical some of us have been on Eddie Jackson, the football player, the last two seasons when he was really bad, I mean, I, I had a, one of those moments where you felt like really regret or bad about it because of what he was going through as a person, as a husband, as a father, and as a friend. And I just think that, him being able to overcome and, and just go endure that stuff, living a public life in Chicago as he does and dealing with the kind of criticism from guys like us. I, I really want to rethink how, um, you know, I view what he's doing. Not, not that everybody out there isn't dealing with some, but something, but I think what, you know, you want to have some empathy and respect for what he has gone through. So I'm pulling Freddie Jackson this year. That's a good call studs. Well, now he gets a, uh, a take the North game ball for his mantle, right? Which is is what a lot of these players, a lot of these players in this locker room are, are driving towards every day. It's the hits principle, and it's the take the North game the game ball that's in the back of their mind. So, I got to get that in the budget. Okay, all right. So back to football. I'll go with um, Travis Gibson. I will give my game ball to Travis Gibson. I think that I even said last week, uh, one of these uh, into one of these microphones, that Travis Gibson felt should feel challenged by Dominic Robinson's emergence, and maybe that competition will bring out the best in him. Because like, hey, yeah, I'm still here. I was supposed to be the guy having the breakout year with Khalil Mack out in L.A. And you know, Travis Gibson came to play Sunday night at Lambeau. Two sacks, hard to block. I know they were compromised at offensive tackle, but he still got to the quarterback. Travis Gibson is a good dude and he's a hard worker and he's one of these guys that the more you get to know him, you understand that he takes advantage of every single day he has here. I think he's been very forward uh, over the last couple of years of really taking advantage of the idea, first with Khalil Mack and then obviously with Robert Quinn of learning from those guys and understanding that there are little things he can take every single day that help him develop as a football player. He has developed. This is another day three pick along with Dominique Robinson. If you can find starting caliber pass rushers on day three of the draft and develop them that really accelerates your path back to being relevant again so that's a great pick because he played last night like he wanted Aaron Rodgers in his grasp every single time he took a nap and that's a big step forward studs I'm gonna let you off the hook from coming back in and I'm gonna give my game ball to David Montgomery because 15 carries 122 yards the way he ran last night was angry again there was just passion oozing from him uh, every time he took the football you know he knew what his stat line was from week one 26 yards on 17 carries and he was determined to flip those numbers around a little bit. So to see him get going was a big, big deal. Uh, kudos to him for having the night that he had, and hopefully that carries forward for, for everyone's sake uh, in this building, because when David Montgomery's playing like that, it becomes uh, contagious really quickly. And kudos to the coaching staff. Matt Eberfuss talked about on Monday the recognition that they needed to get him the ball more and to highlight some of their talent in his words, and I think that was a good sign because he is – potentially their most versatile and valuable offensive player if they can't throw the ball down the field. Yeah, I mean, no doubt about it, right? And, and like eventually, you know, in Matt's words, like you've got to find – and we 
have, have spent years here saying, when are the Bears going to commit to the run? When are they going to commit to the run? Here we are saying, oh, my God, are they ever going to throw a pass again, right? Like they drive 90 yards down the field uh, in that fourth quarter without completing a pass. The, only the Bears, David, could could have 103 rushing yards on a possession and come away scoreless. <laughs> I just wonder, how will David Montgomery look in the wishbone formation that they're going to trot out against Texans? Yeah, well, yeah, we'll see, right? Like, let's see what uh, what Luke Getzey's troubleshooting process is. You've you've taken him off the honeymoon. You've given him some chores to do, and part of it is developing a wishbone now. All that means is like you tell him he snores now, right? <laughs> when the honeymoon's over. That just means you can tell your spouse that that she snores or he snores or whatever. See, right. I said I wasn't going to go down that path I know, because you, yeah. I know, you got a lot. You got a lot of bad material. I just used some of it. All right, let's go to our QB one breakdown. All right, each week we're going to take a deeper dive into the evolution education of Justin Fields. No doubt, Dan, step backward on Sunday night at Lambeau Field. Defining moment, that's a tough one because I think it implies positive. You didn't have a lot of positives. How are you going to answer the defining moment for Sunday night against the Packers? Yeah, it's certainly not positive. For me, you could obviously go to what we talked about with the fourth and end goal play from from the one, but I'm going to go with the, the illegal forward pass that Justin threw in the first half. And to me, it signified a couple different things. Number one, the Bears had a six-man protection to block a four-man rush. Ideally, you should be able to protect that and, and keep it clean. Well, there's a little stunt that comes around and, and, and a rusher gets behind Lucas Patrick and disrupts fields at the top of his drop. To Justin's credit, he starts moving up forward through the pocket. This is something that Andrew Janelko and Luke Getzi have worked with him on. You know, climb the pocket and go. But Justin climbed the pocket and took off and he was really intent on running until he was really intent on throwing. And he threw the ball two yards beyond the line of scrimmage. It went for 31 yards. It quickly came back, five-yard penalty, lost it down. And to me, it just signified the complete lack of uh, sink that the Bears offense had the entire night, the lack of comfort and confidence and poise in the pocket that Justin was missing on Sunday night that tells you, boy, this is a work in progress. We've been talking about this for a month plus, that he's got to develop that feel within the pocket. He's got to be able to make plays on script in there. And there was a definite play. And I I, I specifically asked Matty Rufus on Monday afternoon if he saw an opportunity when Justin climbed the pocket to stop and reset. You've seen it a thousand times, David, from all the greats in this game, that they're able to get up in that pocket, reset, and then make a throw that, that picks up 25 yards, moves the chain, and keeps the drive alive. He wasn't able to do so. He ended up making a mental error that pushed him back even further instead of just running for the 11 yards or whatever it was that would have gotten the first down. And it just it was just one of those plays. It was just a, a discombobulated play with a brain fart from a quarterback for an offense that just hasn't found its rhythm yet. And I think that it was interesting for me to hear Matt Eberflus acknowledge the fact that he thought that maybe he should have caught uh, or should have kept the ball and run for the first down in that situation. And it, it was a situation where he thought, okay, that that's one of those things where you feel like take the obvious, take the gimme. And that lack of awareness, I think, is the word that also that, yeah. that your play sort of implied there wasn't great awareness all night long. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that's that has to be worked on. Right. And you give a guy, uh, you know, one road game against a division rival with with, you know, a bright spotlight and high stakes. And you say, OK, learn from that. But if, if we're still talking about these kinds of errors in November, we got issues on our hands. That's a good one. My defining moment came earlier, it came on the fourth play and it came on the flea flicker. It was the actually the longest play uh, yeah. pass play of the night. 30 of the 70 passing yards came when the handoff to uh, David Montgomery pitched back to Justin Fields and then Equinemius St. Brown was open for a 30-yard gain. I think that was a, a, a nice play, and it kind of like, oh, wow, this is cool. Problem is, and I, and I don't know, I watched it a couple times again today, and it would have required big ambition to throw to Darnell Mooney, who had gotten open. You could throw him open. You could, you could maybe try to make something happen, right? Uh, I mean, you could talk to 10 people and 10 people would give you a different description of how open Darnell Mooney was. I mean, how would you say that he, he was open? Yeah, I, I think he was just field. in one-on-one and he had, a, a you know, a, at least three quarters of a step on the defensive back. And, and if you're a, a accurate deep ball thrower like Justin is touted to be, you, you let it fly. Now, Justin said after the game that in his vision, he just didn't see Darnell, right? Like, know, see, that's why it's a defining moment for me. And, and, and you're right. He didn't see him. Sometimes that's defensive line congestion. Sometimes it's just where you, you know, who knows why I didn't see him, but he didn't see him. So go he ahead. He, no, you're right. And, and I, and I want to be fair here because I don't want to, I don't want to pile on because I feel like there's a lot of that going on after, after the second game of the season for Justin Fields. But 
if you're in your head thinking, okay, flea flicker, fourth play of the game, we're thinking big, we want to get ahead, we want to answer, we want to do all these things, you are already looking mentally or expecting to look downfield to the big home run. You're not taking the, you know, you're not legging out the double. You're not going for the base hit to right field. You're not going with the pitch. You're thinking you're going deep and you're thinking big and you're thinking bold. And I think it was it was telling to me that that was indicative of what would come after. There was no ambition to the Bears passing game. Right. I know they only got 41 snaps and they had the ball for only 22 minutes, but there was no thought to being like going. They, they threw the one downfield. They, they tried, but that was kind of just for effect. And I felt like on the opening flea flicker, the definition of the play is a little razzle dazzle. Well, they took the safest route out of a flea flicker that flicker they could. And to me, that was as defining as anything else. Now, at least they scored on the drive, right? They still got that. They turned that big gain into into a positive yardage and went in and scored a touchdown on their opening drive. But sure. yeah, to your point, you, you just need to start to scare opposing defenses so that they actually spend a little bit of uh, you know time at night not sleeping and, and spending time thinking about the plays that you're going to hit them with during the week. Next category on the bright side. Okay, so for me, it was not necessarily related to Justin, but it was the ability to do what we've asked Bears offenses to do with forever, and it's to commit to the running game, and it's to get 27 rushing attempts turned into 180 yards and to do things that, if you're Luke Getze now, should at least give you confidence that you can run a reliable running game that can then open things up for play action that can then give your quarterback a little bit more time if defenses are playing honestly. And so I just thought that the way, as we talked about in the, the, the game balls segment with David Montgomery, that the ability to get that established and to stick with it and to be unrelenting with it is going to be positive long-term. Now I think Matt Nagy, I'm sorry, Matt Eberflus, I'm sorry. I don't want to give anybody PTSD there has been very clear that they need to find more balance, right? They need to find more balance offensively. They need to find a passing attack, but, but generally speaking from with what we've lived for the last three, four years of not being able to see a running game get going the way it got going Sunday night. For me, that was a, a bright spot that will help Justin long-term. Okay. On the bright side for me, if I had to pick one play, I liked the way that he beat uh, Gary to the pylon and showed the little uh, athletic burst that we know that he's capable of. And that was Justin Fields at his best three yard touchdown. <laughs> but I think overall, th this is the opportunity that I want to take to, to very briefly just ask people to, you know, re remember a couple of things about Justin Fields in his, in his process. And I'm not anything like a Justin Fields apologist, and I never have been. But I'm also not going to uh, draw a conclusion after two starts in a second season. I, I want to remind people, there is no award for coming to the conclusion fastest on a quarterback in your football city. Nobody gives out any awards and nobody, there was no trophy case to, to, to fill when everybody was right or whoever was wrong about Mitch Trubisky. Nobody remembers and frankly, nobody cares. So if you just have to be heard and you have to, uh, or you have to share that Justin Fields is a bona fide bust and no Ohio State quarterback is ever going to succeed and he is this and he is that, I would just caution you all to slow down, take a breath. Nobody's saying be satisfied with what you've seen. There's no reason to be satisfied with uh, you know, with the passing numbers that they are. I mean, I'm not sure, you know, based on his passing numbers, watching the tape, Justin Fields is a five-star recruit in, in, in the state of Georgia. I mean, this, this is what you get, you know, gets you uh, noticed on, on for college recruiters, not in the NFL. But this is the way the sausage is made. You, you go into seasons, you get regime changes, you install offenses. You have to give more time before you know what you have. And I think that you have a right to be frustrated, but I don't think that it's fair to be conclusive. And there's a big difference there. And there's a lot of gray area in there and nobody likes gray, certainly not on sports talk radio, certainly not in, in, in the Twitter sphere. And, and it's a very dangerous place to uh, exist, but there's a lot of gray when it comes to Justin Fields. So as much as you didn't like Sunday night at Lambeau field, just remember <laughs> if he turns around and he lights it up against the Texans, 
you're going to feel a lot different. And he's very capable of doing that. Well, listen, I don't, I've never been a marketing genius and I don't know what our merchandising plans are for this podcast, but if studs wants to get going, we could make t-shirts that, that say exactly what you said there. Slow down, take a breath, take the North, slow down, take a breath, right? Just what every football fan wants to hear. Because I think what happens particularly in this town is we start to get the extremes trying to outshout each other, right? Those who think that he's a bust are trying to outshout those who think that he's going to be an absolute seven time all pro, right? And all of a sudden, most of the people that are trying to live uh, patiently in the gray area are like, man, this is a pretty tense gray area to be in because people on my right are screaming this, people on my left are screaming this, people in front of me are throwing tomatoes and I can't get out of the way of it. So this is just part of the, the quarterback discussion in Chicago and it's and it's ugly. And it's going to be, to your point, it's going to be gray for a long time. And I've tried to make this point since we started this podcast and obviously into the spring that we're going to get to the end of this season and have no idea whether Justin Fields is going to be here for a second contract and no idea on whether he could be here for 15 more years. Right. And so if you the quicker you as a, a football spectator and fan of this football team can, can condition yourself to understand that reality, the better off you're going to be through what is promises to be another 16 weeks that are going to be quite the roller coaster in a lot of ways. All right, let's move through these last two categories. And this kind of dovetails into what we're talking about. The next one is, uh Oh, yeah, so I, you reference this play in passing, but it's the bomb to Darnell Mooney in the fourth quarter on Sunday that Justin overthrew by three yards, right? And it's finally an opportunity to get your favorite receiver in one-on-one -on -one coverage. He runs a really nice route, gets Rasul Douglas to, actually it was Eric Stokes in that situation, to turn his hips. And you've got a little bit of separation. It's not college level, Ohio state level separation, but you got a play there to be made and you've got a play fake and a rollout to your right and you set and throw. And again, the great quarterbacks make this play seven times out of 10 and Justin misfired and he threw long. And so what does it signify, David? It signifies that Darnell Mooney is now two games into his 2022 season and he's got two catches for four yards. Right. We cannot allow this to be the production line for Darnell Mooney. You can hear it in Matt Eberflus's voice right now that they need to figure out ways to get him unlocked. His one catch on Sunday night went for minus four yards, in part because it, it included a motion, David, that sent Mooney in front of fields before the snap and then looping behind him. And they didn't get the width on the play that they needed. Cole Komet tried to put on a block, wasn't successful in doing so. And all of a sudden that play goes for a loss of four. And, and, and when you can't get your big play guys unlocked for big plays, now your offensive struggles are only going to be exacerbated. Matt Eberflus talked a little bit on Monday afternoon about the need now in the troubleshooting phase of this going forward, the correction phase of this for the coaching staff to put their heads together and, in his words, highlight the skill. Here's some of what he said on Monday afternoon about that. No, I think you got to highlight your skill. You know, you got to highlight your skill. You know, like we highlighted, uh, you know, Demo last night, you know, running the football. He's a good runner. We have good run blockers. We highlighted that last night, and that was a positive coming out of the game. You know, so in the passing game, let's highlight our skill. You know, let's get the, let's feed the guys that, that have skill that can take a short throw and turn it into a big, a big game. You know, that can go uh, downtown, and we, you know, we have a good deep ball thrower. So we should utilize that too. And we're going to look at all aspects of that. Like I said, we've got great coaches. They're going to work tirelessly to get that done this week. I mean, David, highlight your skill for, for, for Matt is an indicator that you better quickly identify your best players and their best strengths and utilize them, right? And I think that's the, the number one goal for this team as it heads to week three. They're learning too. I mean, they are really learning the roster. They're, they're coaching on the fly, and this is their first season, so they're going to try to figure out what works, what doesn't. And and that's good that we keep hold them to this because they've got to – have fewer games like Sunday at Lambeau when Cole Komet with zero yards has zero a, catches, zero catches for zero yards has more production than your number one receiver who has negative yardage in the <laughs> passing game. So that's not ideal when your number one and two guys are in, you know, in negative numbers. Yeah, you and I outproduced them on Sunday. Exactly. So that's a bad trend, and I think that's a good uh oh. Yeah, I, I, I would just think that my general uh-ohs would be overall, I don't think Justin Fields showed the presence and feel in the pocket that you want to see. I just think he looked uncomfortable. And I don't want to attribute it all to uh, footwork and mechanics that they seem to highlight on, on Sunday Night Football. But I think they did a nice job of showing the difference between uh, the two. And, and Aaron Rodgers at the end of his career, and he is Aaron Rodgers, but he looks so much more fluid moving his feet to get in position and set and throw than Justin Fields, who looks like he's still kind of reading a textbook, like I should go here, I should go there. The less that Justin Fields thinks when he's throwing, I think the better off 
he's going to be. We see it all the time. It was true with Mitch Trubisky. It was true with Justin Fields. Move a pocket and he gets more accurate. I think that would be the biggest uh-oh is that when I see him set up, he still has to grasp what it is to be a pocket passer and that presence is still lacking. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any question about that. And that's got to be something that gets polished and sharpened really fast. And it's got to be a daily emphasis for that quarterback and his uh, supporting cast, which includes his backup quarterbacks, as well as his coaching staff. Last category, what's your big number? Unfortunately, it's 152, which is the Bears' total yardage in the first half of games through two weeks. 152, David. Oh that's 60 God. minutes of football, 152 total yards. To break it down on even smaller, 11 possessions, 47 plays, only nine first downs and seven points. Justin now has 64 first half passing yards through two games. This is not an average. That's a cumulative total through two games and a 36.5 passer rating. The Bears have to figure out a way to get going early. Otherwise, we're going to be banging our head against the wall for weeks and months on end if this team is unable to get to 10 points in the first half. As so often happened in the Matt Nagy era, I'm tired of not having anything to see in the first half of games. The big number for me is the one that I'll remember about this game from a Justin Fields perspective, and that's 11. 11 passes attempted. That is option football that is a throwback to the 80s that is army navy air force i was looking for uh with a bo morgan that was the <laughs> wishbone quarterback for the air force falcons back in the 80s my goodness sakes this is ridiculous this is an nfl offense i don't know i don't know how to if you can have everything and i don't want to be a hypocrite because you know david montgomery was running he got 122 rushing yards but you've got to be able to throw more and possess the ball more and set up play action and, and just take some shots. 11 passes uh, attempted by Justin Fields is just one of those numbers that's going to be hard to forget. Yeah, no doubt. And let's, so, let, so let's see if he can complete 11 passes, maybe even in three quarters of work this week and see if they can take steps forward in that direction. All right. I want to get to flip the score. Okay, educate me, football swami. How are we going to do this when the Bears lose a game? How are we going to flip the score and look at the bright side? Or how how are we going to proceed with this exercise? Well, I think it became obvious on Monday afternoon that Matt Eberflus listens to this podcast because he said that he spoke to his players on Monday afternoon and said, let's take out the end result and just evaluate the performance within the end result. Okay. So so, so uh, would you Good. agree? You think that yeah. Coach Eberflus is, is listening on the drive to and from Hallis, right? He does, yeah. yeah. I text him, say, Flusey, turn, turn us on. You might learn something from Dan. So, so in this regard, obviously, we've spent a lot of time in this podcast highlighting all the things that the Bears need to work on. I think then your, your goal after a loss is to find some silver linings, right, and to, to accentuate some positives. For Matt Eberflus on Monday afternoon, it was the, 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 the kind of grit and resilience they showed in the second half of that game when things had gone a little bit haywire. They got a freebie takeaway. It wasn't a, a takeaway that they really forced because it was a missed, fumbled exchange between Aaron Rodgers and A.J. Dillon that they took over. They turned it into points. Okay, that's a positive. You can take a, 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 a turnover from the opposition and turn it into points. And then you get another stop beyond that, right? And now all of a sudden, you're, you're kind of knocking on the door, right? Now we can potentially change this game. You're down 24 to 10, and you go with your most impressive drive of the season, a run-heavy march down the field, as we mentioned, 103 rushing yards on the drive right to the doorstep of the goal line. These are very strong, strong positive developments. There weren't enough of them Sunday night, no doubt about that. But we would have been talking about it. The score was flipped, how well the Bears played on that drive and staying committed to the run and going right down the field and running it down the Packers' throat and ultimately getting it into the end zone. They all, As you know, they the officials ruled they were short. They may have actually crossed it. We'll see about that. I like this exercise. I do because it's the way that you would look at the – the, your team, if you watched it on tape and you didn't know that you lost and you weren't dejected, this is the way you coach guys to get better. You accentuate some of the positive, you work on the negatives. All right, in that vein, it's impossible to ignore that the Bears had 180 rushing yards with an offensive line that came into the season being considered one of the worst in the league. Yeah. So they've got to do something well. I know that's not just all David Montgomery getting the extra yard and doing the the jump cut as they fo focused on so much on NBC, like they had never seen it before. <laughs> but uh, I, I, it's not all a, a demo, as Flusi calls them. This offensive line might be taking that forward and, do, and finding something they do well. And you can grow from that. Now, I still think that there are issues with Larry Borm on the right side and Braxton Jones on the left. I don't know how long they are 
there. Maybe, Dan, they're going to go through some growing pains. Maybe they, they stick with them through thick and thin. But Tevin Jenkins and Cody Whitehair, watching the tape again today, both of those guys had few, only few instances where they stood out for negative reasons. I think they both had strong games. I'll be honest, Sam Mustard had a couple moments where he'll want back and he's going to have a hard time watching that tape. I'm sure that was difficult because he didn't, wasn't strong. He's a man child. Yeah. He's a great player. Um, so I wonder, is Lucas Patrick, the way that they talk through this, is he eventually going to be the replacement there? If he is and he's an upgrade, all of a sudden you've got guys who can run the football and get you the tough yard when you need it on fourth and goal uh, from the one-yard line. And maybe whenever you want to control the ball and set up play action, you can do that with the running game and offensive line. So that would be my biggest positive. The other one, a uh, guy who's going to overlook this scene a little bit and probably uh, that's not such a bad thing, but Jalen Johnson wasn't yeah. a bad chap, yeah. but Aaron Rodgers no better. And whether it's just – uh, Winston design, Jalen Johnson established himself as a guy you want to stay away from. So I think that's one of those things on tape. Yeah, and I also think we talked about earlier with Travis Gibson showing up in a in a big stage, big moment yeah. was a big deal for this team because it, the, the more Travis can make uh, opposing quarterbacks think about him, the better off this defense will be. I think he's feeling very comfortable in the system. And so that's another, another positive they can carry into week three, which I, I'm going to reiterate once again that, that this is far from a, an exhale week, right? The Houston Texans are, are, are coming here with every intention of winning their first football game of the season, with every uh, capability of doing so. And so I, I just really, really hope that this Bears team is alert enough to understand where they stand uh, in this league. The last positive I will point out in that segment, Cairo Santos, 44-yard field goal. I know it was probably one that is routine. It was a good – they were good conditions. But after the week that he had in the open <laughs> – I yeah. think that we need to congratulate a guy that uh, we were wondering, okay, you know, how secure is his job uh, if he starts to miss a couple more extra points. So congratulations to Cairo Santos for taking advantage of that very good field turf at Lambeau Field, which stood two straight Luke Combs concerts. <laughs> And then was ready for the big game on Sunday night. What a weekend in Green Bay, by the way. Luke Combs Friday and Saturday, and then the big show on Sunday night. Luke Combs, who's that? (laughs) 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 Let's go to our final spot. Okay, so you mentioned this is a big week of preparation. Number one, I think on the field, you've got some room to grow, and they're definitely uh, coaching. there's a need for coaching here. And this is when a, a staff like Matt Eberflus's can get their hands on these guys, show them where they need to improve and start that process. But other, the other aspect is that you have a mirror image coming in Lovey Smith and this, this team that is, you know, he's, he's Lovey Smith. We know that the cover two, we know what he means to the bears history. And you have Matt Eberflus who is trying to, in many ways, repeat that history. So there's some nice parallels. There's going to be some good storylines and a lot of reminiscing, but don't make, uh, th- don't forget about the fact that the bears have a football game to win. That should be more winnable than the last two really were. And they look at this on the schedule. Certainly there are no gimmies as you correctly point out, but you have to look at this one as a, as a game at home that you want to come out on top. You definitely want it. For, for those in our audience who have the NFL plus uh, subscription, you can go watch, some footage of the Texans defense through the first two weeks. And you can see how they've made life uncomfortable for Matt Ryan and Russell Wilson, who are far more proven established quarterbacks than Justin Fields is. And so if that doesn't give you a little bit of uh, anxiety and a little bit of that unsettled feeling in your stomach going into this, this game on Sunday, I don't know what will. Uh, so that's certainly something to keep an eye on. And we'll talk a lot more about the Texans in our, in our podcast later in the week, a couple other things offensively that I wanted to mention before we get out of here. Number one, uh, the offensive line, right? We're, we're still trying to, figure out what that's going to look like long term. Matt Eberflus was pressed on Monday about the guard rotation with Tevin Jenkins and Lucas Patrick and really seemed to indicate that it's it's a matter of the strength in Lucas Patrick's right hand. And as soon as he's able to squeeze and snap a football, the rest of this rotation stuff will take care of itself, right? And so maybe that's this week. Maybe we get out to practice on Wednesday and we see Lucas Patrick uh, snapping the football with, without discomfort and, and, and that change comes quickly. The other thing, we talked so much 
uh, on Monday about the fourth and, and goal from inside the one play that we didn't talk enough about the third and goal play where Justin Fields makes a run outside the pocket, gets to the edge, tries to get in for the touchdown and makes that dive for the pylon, David. And I asked Matt Eberflus about this because I think it is significant when you're talking about a young quarterback learning risk reward. Justin reaches out. Remember, on the field, that play is ruled a touchdown because the football hit the pylon. Then the replay review shows that his knee was down with the football six inches short of the goal line. But it's also about two inches away from being a turnover inside the one-yard line that the Packers recover. And we all remember that Benny Cunningham play from the John Fox era where the Bears were ruled down. (laughs) And then John Fox challenged thinking it was a touchdown in the replay review show. (laughs) You know what, Coach? Sorry, it's actually the other team's ball. They just got a a turnover and and a touchdown back out of it and so this is something i think you do have to coach into a young quarterback of knowing obviously you're playing catch up in the game and you need that big moment but boy you've got to make sure that if you're going to make a one-handed dive at that pylon that you secure that thing the whole way because if you turn the ball over there it's a, a terrible terrible mistake in a pivotal moment of the game and i imagine that luke getsy and andrew Janoco and maddie Berflus have all talked to justin fields just about that that risk reward proposition in that situation i'm very impressed that you have not repressed those memories from the fox era <laughs> but yeah that was Foxy. That was one of his all-time great moments on the sidelines for the Bears. And, oh, Adam points out that Next Gen Stats said and reported Jalen Johnson has gone 61 consecutive snaps without coverage. Yeah. going back to last season. So there's respect building for a guy who – it might be ready to take that next step. We'll find out. And that's going to be something interesting to watch because uh, if you are – Aaron Rodgers, if you're a veteran quarterback and offensive coordinator, you're going to attack the rookies. You're going to attack everyone else. Kendall Vildor, you're going to stay away from Jalen Johnson. Yeah, I mean, look, I am a big fan of the developmental arc that Jalen's been on since he was a rookie. I, I, you know, we talked about Travis Gibson earlier. You can add uh, Mooney and Komet to the discussion. That class of 2020, that draft class that had their entire, you know, first, the no rookie minicamp, no OTAs, no minicamp, abbreviated training camp. These guys have really climbed a mountain here in the last two plus years to become potential difference makers. Jalen's certainly in that conversation. And so he deserves uh, some of the praise he's getting. one last note for me, what an entertaining day of football. The advantage of, of, of the Bears having a night game is you get to see around the league and there were so many fireworks and entertaining games played on Sunday afternoon, David. I just want the Chicago Bears to be part of one of these highly entertaining football games sometime soon. I would love to be uh, at a game that is that unpredictable where you've got a 2% chance of, <laughs> of, of the team you're watching coming back and winning and they pull off that 2% chance like we saw happen a couple different times, whether it was the Jets or the Cardinals. That's what you want. Or the Dolphins. How about the Dolphins? Yes. Could could Justin Fields be that guy? Could he be Tua next year? I I don't know, but... No, I like I like that illusion there because think about what people were saying about Tua Tungavailoa in September of 2021, right? It's similar right. things that people are going to say about Justin now, and you have to wait. And 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 Tua now has Tyree Kill, and he's got Jalen Waddle, and he's got a new coach, and he's figuring things out, and he and he throws for 199 yards, four and four touchdowns in the fourth quarter alone in a comeback to bring his team back from 21 down for a riveting win. And so yeah, it, it, it's just a reminder that that the the rush to the insta verdict is is oftentimes misguided and we all got to sit patiently in this gray area and be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Well, Dan, there's a cold beer calling my name and you won't get that if you don't know who Luke Combs is. <laughs> so I will spare you the lyrics and the singing, but uh, have a great week. We will be back on Friday to preview the Bears and the Texans. We will be uh, on your Twitter machine at Take the North Pod. Follow us and give us uh, some feedback and what you think. You can reach Dan Weeder at Dan Weeder W. I-E-D-E-R-E-R. I am David Haw, at David Haw, H-A-U-G-H. And Adam Stadzinski is our producer for him and everyone. Thank you for joining the Take the North pod. You can get us on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back Friday talking more bears. Thanks for joining us. Take care, everybody.